Pain and illness can become an all-consuming experience. Hi, and welcome to I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am your host, Melissa, a chronic pain sufferer for over 20 years, and I know firsthand how pain can easily take over your life and isolate you from others. But the truth is we are so much more than our pain and illness, and we are not alone. There are millions of fellow warriors on their own journey. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. On today's episode, we'll be touching on how chronic illness and pain affects our mental health. This is obviously an incredibly complex topic, but one thing is universal. When there are chronic issues such as pain and illness, there inevitably will be a toll on a person's mental health. How could there not be really? To dig in, I would love to introduce today's guest, Chris. She is a teacher, a partner, a wonderful mom of three kids, an advocate for disability and the LGBTQ community, and she has suffered with pain since childhood. In her 30s, Chris was officially diagnosed with several autoimmune, endocrine, and genetic conditions, such as Addison's disease, POTS, and EDS. Chris has experienced numerous mental and physical traumas in her life, but in my opinion, by living and working through those traumas, she has become exceedingly wise beyond her years. She speaks very openly and candidly about the fact that with these conditions, she will most likely not live to C60. I am truly honored to have her on the show, and I'm looking forward to my listeners hearing her harrowing journey and how she has learned to manage her mental health and really life with a remarkable outlook and perspective. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a wonderful opportunity to share sort of what I have learned, and I wish everybody could learn what I've learned without having to go through the the journey to get there. And so I feel like if we can just share the knowledge, it's a great thing. And today is the perfect day to talk about mental health. To be honest, it's really difficult. This morning I woke up and I literally had the thought of, why don't I just stay in bed and go back to sleep? Now for somebody else, that's okay. For me, that's actually giving up and deciding to die. Because if I don't get up and get out of bed and go and take my medication, I will fall asleep and slip into a coma and never wake up again. So a thought like that is a very dangerous thought. Very, very for you, especially. Yeah, exactly. And so this morning is a good day to do this podcast and talk about mental health. It really is. And I mean, I really do appreciate because I know that you have limited hours in your day where you're, you know, able to do things. And so I'm glad you took the time. Thank you for taking the time to come on and speak. And I, I know I touched on your story a little bit, but I'd love to have you kind of tell it and keep the mental health aspects in that as well as you talk about it. So I'd love to hear about your journey so far. So I have had a very interesting journey. Um, I'm a bit of a medical marvel. I'm held together mostly with my stubbornness. And um, it is doctors don't exactly know what to do with me and they never really have. Um, so I was born literally folded in half. I came out butt first. And I was what's called a Frank's breach. So I came into the world and for the first couple of months of my life, I was in pain like 
all the time and my parents would have to stretch me out. So I started out in pain and that led to some issues between my mother and I not bonding. My mom is also a narcissist, so not the easiest person to grow up with. I went through a childhood where I was bullied from basically the first day of school on, and I didn't um, really understand why. And so what this created was what's called fracturing. So different parts of me kind of broke off and they became my protectors. So not like a split personality, more like just, you know, I had warrior Chrissy who would come and help me when things were really rough. So if my mom was being really rough on me or bullied at school, uh, when I was five, I was molested by a babysitter and that part of me really took over. And I created these different parts of me to help me cope with the traumas that I just couldn't cope with myself so that me, Chris, could exist in the world without having to deal with all of that. And it actually sure. fairly common. Fracturing is way more common than most people would think. My teen years were filled with depression, uh, but my brother was depressed at the same time. And so this was my first introduction to the difference between gendered care for people with mental health issues. Women are very quiet about our mental health issues. So as a teenager, nobody really knew how depressed I was. Nobody knew that I was writing suicide notes. Nobody knew that every single day when I walked past the train to go to school, when the train was coming this way, I would walk on the other side of the train station to make sure that I didn't have that urge to just jump in front of it because that urge came. And so I had to do what I could to make sure I didn't do that. But at the same time, my brother was an alcoholic and he was um, a drug abuser and he was addicted to pretty much anything you can be addicted to. And so his out, his had, he had an outward struggle at 15, when I was 15 and he was 17, he tried to commit suicide for the first time and I found him. Oh, and, uh, yeah, so that led me on to a really bad mental health path as well for a little while. Yes, that, yeah, like I was, I was drinking, I was shoplifting, I was just out of control. And then one day, and I don't know exactly what it was that shifted, but I just said, that's enough. I can't keep this way. And those resources that I had started developing when I was younger, those different parts of me, the use of meditation, though I didn't know it was meditation at the time. I was meditating as a child, creating visualized worlds for me to store the bad. Um, like I had created a box in my brain where it was a treasure chest. And I put the stuff I couldn't deal with at the moment in my treasure chest. And I left it in there until I was ready to deal with it. And I somehow magically created this world. Like I literally envisioned when I felt unsafe, putting duct tape across my door. And then I would envision putting saran wrap and then I would envision putting wood boards and all of these layers of protection for myself visualized in my head and I've used these tools so I had kind of forgotten about them for a little bit there when things were really rough with my brother and then when I was 15 and I decided that I couldn't do this anymore I couldn't keep falling apart and I needed to get my crap together and I did and I just decided one day and I got my crap together I started buckling down at school I never missed another day of school like including my two university degrees, my, I was working on my master's, like all through all of that, I never missed a day of school ever after that, because it was so important to me to just buckle down and be what I needed to be because nobody was going to do it for me. Yeah, nobody will. Right? Like, I wish. Yeah. It would be nice. <laughs> that be nice. 
It would be lovely if somebody could do it for you, but that's incredible that you just made that choice. You know, I don't want to be this way anymore. I'm going to make a conscious choice to do all that. That's incredible. And not easy to do. No, it wasn't. Like I knew I I had that something had to change or I wasn't going to make it. And I was having a lot of OCD tendencies at this point. So like I couldn't go to bed without laying my clothes out in the order that they had to be put on. I had to put my head on my dog's chest to make sure the dog was breathing. I had to listen at everyone's door. I was like very, I was very much in my head and unable to really cope in the world because my world was falling apart. My parents were not happy. My mom has never been an easy woman to be around. Though my world was kind of falling apart on me. And so I had to make some changes. And then at 17, my world fell apart. My parents got divorced, which was a good thing. I was actually like over the moon thrilled um, that that happened. Well, <laughs> uh, but then my- yeah, if you're living in a toxic environment, that might be a nice feeling for them to, you know, you thought yeah. this is going to get better. This, you know, they're better apart. Yeah, they're much better apart. That's for sure. But then my dog died. And then a couple oh. months later, my brother committed suicide. I came home from school one day and I found his body. And that is something that sticks with you for the rest of your life when you're 17 years old. And there was this moment where, you know, the operator says, can you check for a pulse? And for just a microsecond, you think, oh, I can feel a pulse, but rigor mortis had that in. He had been dead for hours and he knew I was going to be the person to find him because of the timing. So that also had sort of an impact of you know, he trusted me enough to be that person, which is an honor, I think, but also very hard as a 17 year old to try and cope yeah, a with a lot that. for you to carry a lot for you to carry. I don't think yeah. he thought, I think he thought, you know, if anyone's going to find me, I want you to do it. But I, I don't think he thought of the other repercussions of, of what that is wanted yeah. to be out of pain, out of suffering, but still that's really tough. I'm so sorry. I had to go through that. Thank you. And this sort of I'd already had PTSD and thought, no, not knowing I had PTSD at the time. Um, But this really led my PTSD to just, like, I would get on a bus and I would be sitting on the bus and I'd go, I don't know where I live. I know this is my bus stop that I get off on. And I would get off the bus and I would just stand there and go, do I turn left? Do I turn right? I don't know what my address is, my phone number, where I live, anything. Um, And so I just had to stand there until I could kind of get myself back together. So between 17 and my early 20s was kind of to keep myself going. But at the same time, I was doing talks in high schools and junior highs about suicide and signs to look for and talking about my brother's story and stuff like that. Because I've always wanted to be a teacher. Like I went to kindergarten and it was like, I want to be a teacher. That's it. And that's what I've always wanted to be. And I led a very interesting journey to get there. Um, We don't have time for that journey. (laughs) Um, But eventually I got there and went, you know, I'm a teacher. Um, By 22, I started wondering if I was gay, had this moment where I was like, yes, I am. And then I freaked out, completely married a man and had kids. (laughs) (laughs) And this is quite common. Then when I had my kids at 22, or sorry, 23 and 24, I went through postpartum depression. And that was a rough go there. And I ended up medicating. And the medication was the best thing at the time though incredibly difficult to get off. Um, And that was the start of some endocrine issues. So Mm. by 26, I I stopped menstruating. I started going through menopause. 
I'm fully oh. at 40. I'm fully postmenopausal, which bonuses and, you know, <laughs> yeah, pluses and minuses. <laughs> pluses and minuses for sure. That. But um, not easy to go through the, the actual menopause at that age. No way. Can no, I? no. When you're, and when doctors are like, I don't know what's going on. Um, so through my whole life, I've had pain um, because I have Ehlers Danlos, and nobody really knew this. I thought every eight year old laid down at night and cried themselves to sleep because their back hurt so bad. I just thought that was normal. Yeah, that was normal to you. Know. Yeah. yeah. How would you know any differently? You know, if that's your, I thought every kid at lunchtime, like I would crawl behind those big metal, green metal electrical boxes and pass out every lunchtime. And that was just what I thought was normal. I, you know, that's just what you grow up with, but that was right. Yeah. You're a child. You don't know differently, but wow. I mean, I'm sure when that adult side kicked in, it was like, what? Like I, this isn't typical. Like I I had a very atypical experience. I didn't realize it might've been a blessing. You didn't at the time because you're a child, but at the same time, wow, that's an impact. That's, that's intense. So then I come, I come out at 26. There's a lot of shame in there. I feel, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel bad for my ex-husband. I land myself in an abusive relationship mm. because we go to what we know. So if you have a parent who is an extreme narcissist, who is abusive, that is what you were drawn to. And so you tend to pick partners who will treat you how you were treated and how you feel like you should be treated, how you feel like you deserve. And I am still working very much on that self-love and that getting past that in therapy. Um, but it is a part of it, right? right. Um, and so at, at 37, I really have another big breakdown. My mom's diagnosed with breast cancer. I find out my partner's actually a con artist who took me for everything I had. Um, and I get an infection in my finger, a paper cut that just turns into this massive infection. And my body just starts shutting down. I go hiking for three days by myself, backcountry camping. And I know I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm like, something is so seriously wrong that I am going to die. And it's like this epiphany moment. Not much longer after that, I'm diagnosed with Addison's disease. I am diagnosed with a bunch of other things. Like they figure out I have premature ovarian insufficiency. Ehlers-Danlos is suspected. I can't work anymore. I can't even get to the bathroom. I literally am crawling from the couch to the bathroom to go pee. I am so sick. And my body had shut down. And then I pull myself up and I figure it out. And I walk from my couch to my front door. And I get my butt outside with my dogs. And I walk from one light post to the next light post. And I say, the next day I'm going to get to two light posts and then three light posts. And then... I just kind of got myself there. And then I get myself to the point where I'm at now where I work out two and a half hours a day, which is incredibly important for my mental health. I cannot function without my, my trike ride and my dog walk and my stretches. And I get myself like to a really functional spot and I get back to work. Wow, that's awesome. Two weeks later, COVID hits. Oh, for goodness sakes. (laughs) Because of my unique autoimmune issues endocrine issues and genetic issues COVID is literally a death sentence for me if I were to catch COVID as my one doctor puts it you would die or you would not want to be alive so I have to isolate and I have to isolate from my own children I can't even and then so I have to just do distance visits with them lovely technology um, eventually I get a medical grade respirator, which is 
epic and allows me to actually touch my kids and my partner and technology allowed me to teach online. So when COVID hit, I was able to still connect with my students online because next to being a mother teaching fulfills my life and gives me so much purpose. Mm -hmm. Right now I'm on a medical leave from teaching because I was just diagnosed with functional neurological disorder, as well as some more endocrine and genetic things going on and unable to get my cortisol levels to level out. I am now on what equates to over hundred milligrams of steroids every single day, wow. which is an incredibly high dose. Um, and yeah. I will be for the rest of my life and it is amping up more and more. So it's, it's taking its toll physically and cognitively I am declining. So I was a person who had a 4.0 in university, two degrees plus a trade. I was working on my master's. I read between 200 and 300 books a year, but cognitively now I have messed up my medications the last three days in a row. I can't recall words that would just so easily come to me. My vocabulary is incredibly expansive, Mm -hmm. but I can't grab those words some days. Um, most days now, like, and physically I am in pain 24 seven. I have so, I am so lucky. I have so many aids to help me. Um, like I have a medical bed, I have bracing, I have splints, I have everything you could have to keep going. But I'm at the point now where it's, it's really hard. And I know that I will, I will never see 60. I don't know when I will wake up each morning. I just don't know. Every, every day is a bit of a gamble, but it's also an innate adventure and there's advantages to it. That is sort of me. And there's lots more to me. I mean, I oh, have I'm sure. 30. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate you being so open and, and willing to discuss, because I think so many different things will hit home with so many different people. It's incredible that you are able to have the perspective you do. And I guess, how do you, because with everything you go through, how do you balance your physical health, keeping your body rested and well as, as you can with your mental health? I mean, how is that? Is there even a balance to find? So I think balance is hard. It's, it's so hard. It's so tricky yes. um, because everything comes at a cost, mm-hmm. right? So everything that I do, everything that I push for, whether it's something for my mental health or my physical health, it comes at the cost of one or the other, but you can't, you can't ignore either piece because both fall apart. We're so interconnected. There's this amazing book called The Body Keeps the Score by Vanderkolk. And it really talks about how that trauma lives in our body. And it kind of alluded to how when I was a kid, I created the space in my mind. And I think of it like Sherlock Holmes and the Mind Palace. So I've created this space in my mind and it has gotten bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And I use that both mentally and physically. So in order to cope with my pain, I have to create a mental place to put that pain because I don't take any pain medications. So overlying all of this magic that is me for medically is mitochondrial disease. So with mitochondrial disease, it basically means I was just built with bad building blocks. Mm -hmm. So EDS is bad connective tissue building blocks, but mitochondrial disease goes even further. My mitochondria just sucked right from the get-go. So I was built poorly, which is why everything can fall apart so easily because our mitochondria are everywhere. It's, it's our energy, right? And so 
everything comes down to energy and I have limited amount of that. So I do what I can physically by taking a mitochondrial cocktail, which is a bunch of supplements. I work out. And honestly, when you have mitochondrial disease, you are not supposed to work out as much as I do. It actually is killing me whilst it's keeping me alive at the same time because I'm expending so much energy, which I don't have, <laughs> but those workouts are so important to me. They make it so that I can function mentally and physically. So physically they loosen me up for EDS and stuff like that. Actually, when I went out, when I was feeling so rough this morning, I was like, oh, can I, can I do my trike ride? I'm just like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And I just couldn't quite get myself together. I'm talking to my partner on the phone and she's like, no, you need to, you need to do your thing. I walk outside, I open up my garage, I turn to the right and the most incredible sunrise. And I'm like, this, this is, this is why I do it. I'm on my trike, I'm riding, I'm looking at the pinks and the oranges and the blues in the sky. And it's incredible. Yeah. It's and your soul. Yeah. It's, it's giving you that. Goal. Yeah. It's helping you yeah. get through the day. So I see why you do it. Yeah. And that's a huge part of my thing is like that exercise is so, so important, but yeah, you have to, you have to find that balance between the physical and the mental, and it will come at a cost and you have to decide what that cost is worth. But for me, I am on, I think 372 days of meeting my, you know, Apple watch workout goal, wow. um, stand goal and exercise goal every day including days that I had surgery. I had hernia surgery. No, you didn't. You crazy. You're crazy. I'm on, my, I'm on my bike two hours after having surgery. No. Yeah. Oh my goodness. No, I don't I'm know about that one. I don't like, know if I could do that, but that's incredible <laughs> that you did because you needed that mental. I mean, everybody has their own way you sound like the outdoors and being physical and all those were yours from the get-go it sounds like you know you've always enjoyed that and that's always touched your spirit and gotten you going for others it can be something else but for you that's what gets you going but I still can't believe you did that that's crazy (laughs) I don't know I'm sure the doctor didn't check off on that one (laughs) I am curious how you find you know, acceptance and gratitude in this crazy situation that you have been in a long, long time. So how did you figure that out for yourself? I think like trauma has actually helped me. Invisible illness is really difficult because Mm -hmm. it is really hard to accept that you're sick when you don't look sick. So if somebody from the outside world is looking at you and you just look normal, they never assume that there's anything going on. And if you're in chronic pain, you have to learn how to cope with that within the parameters of society. And Mm -hmm. society tells us to, you know, suck it up and that kind of stuff. And so you do, you do figure that out. And as, as a kid, my, my ability to sort of blend in, not even blend in, sort of hide in Mm. society sort of helped me. And it wasn't until I got older that I really started being able to to really see the, the silver lining and see that my trauma allowed me to connect with people in a different way and mm-hmm. understand other people who go through trauma, which helped me stay bonded because like you, I'm a carer, right? Like I want to help people and I want to take care of people. And that's where I get a lot of my joy. And it wasn't until I almost died that mm-hmm. I was able to set boundaries and yes. real boundaries. And that has helped me find 
my joy as well. Life is always more good than bad, no matter how hard and life has gotten hard. Um, No matter how hard it has gotten, there has always been something positive that came out of it. So one of the biggest examples for me was after my brother committed suicide, I was going to high schools and junior highs and I was doing talks with kids who weren't much younger than me, right? There were, you know, maybe four years younger than me. And I was talking about suicide. And the first talk I did, I wrote, you know, my email up there and I had a kid who emailed me and said, I was going to kill myself tonight, but because of what you said and your brother's story, I am not going to. And I talked to my parents. And I was like, to (laughs) blow your mind, literally saved someone's life. That, that is incredible. Yeah. And that was then one of those moments where I was like, out of my brother's death came this. My brother's death also saved my life. When my brother committed suicide, I had the day before, I think, written my own suicide note. Mm. And that train was pretty much a plan. And his death made it so that I said, oh my God, like I I, I saw how it impacted me. I saw how it impacted my family. His friends, the, the church was so full. Like it was spilling outside. There were so many people there when my brother passed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I cannot do this to anybody else. And that's one of those things that also has given me, no matter how hard things get, I would never make that choice because I know what that does. Mm-hmm. And I You've know like, it. I've lived through that. And that's, like that moment when I got that email from that kid saying that they were going to live and I've had several of those since and I have had the I like there are no words for how much of an honor it is that I have been a part of things like that several times like as a teacher being able to recognize in students Mm -hmm. when something is going on and talk to them and help them through I have been able to save several students who were suicidal and that is amazing like it is and it it shows how powerful someone's story can be and someone's own experience can be to someone else I mean that really does show the power that and that you by giving of your time and being so open with your story how that affects so many different people in ways you don't really expect it to and I think you never really know how many people you touch you really don't And I think it's always worth that time. But I think giving like you did probably did give you a lot of of, uh, not only good mental health, gave you a purpose to keep going and and to keep doing what you're doing. That's that's incredible. I think, you know, trauma really does affect everyone differently. It can paralyze you. It can make you angry or bitter or it can make you grow. And I think yours made you grow. And I think it's, it's not an easy choice. It's definitely something you have to work through with somebody and, and all those things. And it's always a process. I mean, it's always a process and you're always growing and learning and changing, but I think it's in how you respond to it and how your perspective and seeing those silver linings, which could not be easy to see. And you might not see it in the, in the heart of the trauma, in the beast of the trauma, (laughs) you know, you can't, I mean, you're in the middle of your brain's on fire. And, but the fact that you're able to, to do that and to take those silver linings out, it's why you're able to do what you do today and kind of keep going as you do, because it's what what you deal with on a daily basis is crazy. 
I mean, if you really look back and sit back and I'm sure to you, it's now normal, but like to someone who is not, it's like, whoa, I mean, it's mind blowing what you have to go through on a daily basis is a lot. But the fact that you can look at that perspective is an incredible to me because not everybody can do that, but at the same time, they can. It's just a matter of shifting that perspective a little. And it's not an easy, an easy task. It's not. And I've had the absolute amazing pleasure of sharing my story in so many different ways Mm -hmm. and with different people and different aspects of my story. Like sometimes it's just talking about suicide. Sometimes it's mental health. Sometimes it's physical health, whatever it is. But I've had so many people say, you have inspired me to try this new thing, to do something, to make my, my life different, to, to make new choices. And I find that so incredible. Like I have all these messages from people. Like I've had people write me poems and things like that. Like it's, it's so nice. They should, I'm telling you, they should, they should (laughs) write a book. They should memorialize you. I mean, it's incredible the way the way you look at it and your perspective on things, you are an inspiration. I mean, the way you handle things is inspirational. And I think too, I want, at least I want my listeners to understand that I had a tendency when I would meet someone that was, you know, quote unquote, worse off than me. I had a tendency to feel enormous guilt and shame that I couldn't do more, you know, that I, you know, I was like, oh, look at me. I'm, you know, she's so much worse off than me and I can't even do this. And, or I'm in such a negative space and I don't want that to happen here. I think what, what we're doing is I don't want you to feel that way. This isn't about comparing because to me, pain is pain. Suffering is suffering. And it doesn't matter if it's big or small, it matters in, to you and your life and how your life is affected. So it matters. And I'm do, you know, I want you to take from her story from being more inspired, dive into the fact that she is able to take all this darkness and respond to it with light. And it's not mean you're perfect. I mean, I'm sure there's days where no. you are crying on the there floor is. and screaming in a, a pillow cry on the bathroom floor is like so necessary every once in a while because Cathartic, you, have to yes. you have to grieve through every time I get a new diagnosis I pretty much have a good ugly cry mm-hmm. get it out or I go into the woods and I scream I, I, I will literally scream f you to the universe for a second good, and then good. come back and thank the universe for all the blessings that I have <laughs> and yes. then move on but it, your story it's not a comparison Nobody can compare what they have going on with somebody mm-hmm. else's because we all have different lived experiences. And someone looks at me and I'm going to be very real here. My daughter, my 15 year old daughter, just turning 16, actually asked me why I would want to be alive because I am in so much pain. Mm-hmm. And yes, that hurts to hear from her. And there's a lot of anger she has towards the fact that I'm sick and the universe is not mm-hmm. fair. Understandably. And- This, you know, life is not what it was and she wants what it was, but that's a very valid thing to ask too. But at the same time, it's not a comparison. My, Mm -hmm. my physical pain or my emotional pain or whatever it is, is not the same as somebody else's and it's never going to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not a contest. Like I may not live till 60. It's incredibly unlikely that I will, Mm -hmm. but that's a gift on its own. 
like I know every day, I know the value of every day and somebody else has other things that are different and we can never compare those. And it should never be this, like there is sort of this disability trope, the heroic disabled person who is always like, no matter what they can do it. And often I will get put forward as like that, that trope, but I'm not perfect. I mean, I have my days where I will, you know, say something ugly. I will do something I'm not proud of because I'm frustrated and I'm in pain 24 seven. And every once in a while, that little mind palace that I have slips and my pain, I'm human, right? And we're all human and there, there should not be that comparison. What I recognize now is it's good to realize that maybe you're not as bad off as you thought. It's, it's not a bad thing to re- recognize that sometimes, but it's yeah. also, it's okay to say, I still, this is still my experience. This still hurts me. This still bothers me. This is affecting my life in, in big ways, but we can take what we have and make the most of what we have and kind of accepting where you're at, what you're capable of doing and still finding those little things that give you joy throughout your days. Yeah. Is I think the biggest key I have. So I want to ask my last question, which is, you know, what would you say illness has given to you? Um, so it is a huge gift, I think, because I can relate to people in ways that I couldn't relate to people before, mm-hmm. right? Having an understanding of physical and emotional pain allows you to connect to people and I, I don't actually know what it's like to not be in pain. And that is a gift in its own because I have a really high pain tolerance. So that's a good thing too. I have like full sleeves of tattoos that I sat there and like my tattoo artist is like, this hurt. And I'm like, no, there's little fun things like that. But overall, I can choose to see this as a gift, not a loss. I can do all the things that I've never been really good at. Now I can relax because as I physically decline, I have probably a couple more years of walking before walking. It's not going to be an option anymore. And so I will go out and I will go for a hike and I will get to the top of that mountain and close my eyes and listen to the birds and smell the sap on the trees and feel the sun on my face and the wind. And I will take that in like nobody's business. And truly appreciate that when I eat food and I love food I love cooking I have so many dietary restrictions it's restrict it's ridiculous so I cook all my own food but I love my own cooking so that works and that that's, good. that's good that's good <laughs> that's good so I taste, like I really taste food like mm. I taste every little spice in there and I love spices um and I appreciate every little thing when my kids laugh my heart feels like it's going to explode with so much joy when I, you know, was working with students and they get something and there's this like moment, it's like, oh my God, like they got it. And it feels so incredible. And I can really appreciate every one of those little things. Mm. Um, every day when I wake up, I know I get another chance to leave my mark, to do something for somebody else. And it's harder in this, you know, COVID world, yes. but there's a lot Especially of things for you. That- Yeah, especially for me, like I have to distance from people, but I'm lucky I have my respirator. And I mean, I still on school council on my youngest son's school, and I can still do that. We just do it digitally, all those things like I have just, it has given me 
the ability to see the world in, in a different way. And I can just, I can be a little bit selfish now mm. and I can work on finding my joy and that is a huge gift. I can slow down as I cognitively decline. I can read my favorite book again and read it like it's the first time and enjoy <laughs> it just as much as the first time I read it. Mm -hmm. And there, there are advantages to this. And I think if everybody can just sort of find those little things in life that bring them joy and just sort of stop and slow down a little bit. If you love food, go to your favorite restaurant and eat that meal that brings you joy and mm -hmm. close your eyes. I think that we all need to do that more. And then I think with pain and illness too, when you're dealing with that and you're suffering, you kind of live in that suffering place and you do forget to take those small moments to really savor what you enjoy and what you like and the things that you are able to do. And the truth is we don't know what the future holds, none of us. And uh, you don't know if you're going to get better or not, or if this is the way it is, but you've got to make the most of where you are at the moment. And I think you're living proof of that. That is, that is so key. And you live that every day. Oh, I was going to say, I think one of the biggest things is knowing when to ask for help too. Like I have a team of therapists. Mm. I do neurofeedback, like knowing when you, when you need somebody else to support you is also just as important. Oh, I have my, so my family, my friends, my people, and I couldn't do it alone. And none of us do this alone. And if you are trying to do this alone, it's so much harder, even yes. just like we connected through the mighty, right? Yes. The app, the mighty. And on there is an amazing community of people that can virtually support you. And sometimes that's all you have. And sometimes that's all you need. But mm -hmm. just knowing that we do this as a community is really important too. It's so true. I, I think, you know, we have a tendency to isolate when you're in suffering and when you are in pain. And then sometimes, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't as lucky as us to have very supportive families and friends because a lot of people don't get it, especially with invisible illnesses because they look at you yes. and you're like, you look fine to them. My last episode was, but I don't look sick because I yes. got that all the time, but you don't look sick. And I was like, well, I am, I don't feel good. <laughs> After this, I'm going home and going to bed, but that's why you go to the places like the mighty and the my chronic mm -hmm. pain team and all those different things. There's so many, so many out there that you can even find for your own disorders and conditions and that you can find that support somewhere because you need it. I mean, you cannot go through this by yourself. If you do, you're going to go to a dark place very, very quickly. And that's yeah. hard to get out of. You've got to ask for help. That is so key is asking for help. And that is not easy for certain people. I know it's not easy for me, mm -hmm. but I think that's one of the thing illness has taught me is to be able to ask for help when I need it. And that is something I had to learn. I think yeah. that that is so important. I do want to mention that Chris has an informative YouTube channel. And if you search on YouTube for Chris, C-H-R-I-S, Lamarca, L, apostrophe, A-M-A-R-C-A. -A. She dives into her treatments and what helps her with her diseases and conditions and just offers wisdom and other things of what she goes through. I watched the one on pain and her list of things to kind of go through is, is great, especially if you have autoimmune and endocrine disorders. She's like a wealth of knowledge. I mean, just a booklet. So I would highly recommend everybody, you know, checking it out. Well, this is great. Thank you so much for doing this. And I think 
you are a tremendous teacher to all of us on how to respond to darkness with light. And I think you really do live in greatness to me. You will always live in, in a greatness category because truly in a remarkable human, true, true warrior. And I think the pain community is really lucky to have you as an advocate. And I'm lucky to have you as a guest. Thank you to my listeners for tuning in. And I hope you are able to come away with some insight into what a chronic illness can look and feel like and a little bit more about how mental health is affected and what you can do with your own mental health while going through illness and pain. Please stay tuned for next week's episode when we meet another warrior. And I hope you all have a good rest of your day. And remember, you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. Or do you wanna be a guest? Simply email notmypain at heroescircle.org. Again, that is notmypain at heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, circle.org. Your story matters, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.